So here's the question. In the print and packaging supply chain, how do we deliver new ideas and innovative practices to continually improve your profit, your brand, and your quality? Welcome to the Gamut Podcast, and I am your host, Jeff Collins, Director of Print Technologies for ID Alliance. We are a nonprofit global think tank serving the graphic communications industry with 12 offices strategically located around the world to better support our membership. You can support the Gamut Podcast and content like this by becoming a member at ID Alliance by going to www.idalliance.org. I would also like to thank Konica Minolta for sponsoring this podcast. They are a world leader in industrial and commercial printing and packaging solutions. Isn't it amazing? I mean, people lay down a lot of money for those printing equipment and training, you know, how to drive it often is is an afterthought. On today's Gamut Podcast, we are speaking with Chris Showalter. He is the Director of Market Segment Management at EFI, and Chris's team is critical in shaping the future of fiery branded products and growing market segments like textiles, display graphics, packaging, and industrial printing. And we're going to learn from Chris today some valuable insights on inkjet technology like single pass technology, uh, critical analysis on workflow performance, procurement, and how his team educates the market on industry trends like digital corrugated printing and workflow to begin. So good morning, Chris. How are you, V. Gates? Sehr gut, danke. Chris, to start our second part of the Gamut podcast, I want to touch on automation for smaller companies, franchise prints, possibly companies less than $5 million in revenue a year or less than 50, 20 employees. And when we engage with these types of businesses, a smaller company, sometimes when we talk about automation or automation solutions and the price tags, they a little apprehension and they can't afford it. It's too expensive. Yet when you look, let's say we're doing a pre-sales assessment and we're on site, we find a lot of deficiencies in the current solutions that they have. Let's say they have fireys or other DFEs and they're not utilizing automation in those solutions like you know hot folders or virtual printers. So you find them printing directly from Adobe Creative Suite going into an APPE RIP and there's all kinds of different variables that cause issues shoes and stop jobs and each job is different in their perceptions so they have to handle each one manually but i love to hear your thoughts on automation especially for the smaller companies there's so many of them and when we look at fast signs and here in the united states fast signs alpha graphics minuteman sir speedies they're all acquiring inkjet technology wide format you know profit margin is is key and operating profit margins are sometimes very tight. Uh, automation is definitely the, I would say, low-hanging fruit that we can grab onto with even current workflows, much less some of the add-ons or even major automated solutions in addition to what they're currently operating with that you know, many of these solutions EFI provides. <laughs> um, as hard as it is, I'm, I'm just strongly believing it's it's automate or die. 
Um, so we get the same, right? Um, you, you talk with customers and we're too small to automate, automation is too expensive, or what I hear most of the time is display graphics, every job is different, you cannot automate, right? What's happening though, and I think part, part of the reason why, I mean, obviously it's all true, um, but also part of the reason is that I think, you know, while no one will repeat this, I think margins are still reasonably healthy. Um, margins obviously got got under a lot of pressure. Margins got a lot of smaller. But compared to offset, you know, we still had the luxury in that we got away with a lot of manual steps. And this is this is history. This this is changing now. And people are forced to do automation and especially the small ones are forced um, to look into this. And I think a, a key to kind of watch out for or to not be over careful about is, you know, you don't have to automate your full workflow. And that's the scary piece, right? I mean, you look at your workflow and every job is different and how can I automate each and every step? And this is going to become an impossible task. And I'm looking at, you know, a $40,000, $50,000 solution plus all the customization. It's, I mean, it's, it's really scary stuff, um, but you don't have to automate it all. Pick the things, the low-hanging fruits and automate those. Right. Um, actually, I was on the phone with a good customer of mine actually this morning, and they're they're investing in automation um, at the moment. And the low hanging fruit for him was shipping labels, right? So and and, and wide format, a super wide format environment, um, and they want to have you know shipping labels with the customer information and a small thumbnail of a product that they just printed. So you know it's 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 on the box, right? And that's a super simple case for automation. And it reduced a couple of touch points for him. So it frees up, a, you know, a guy for half an hour a day, you know, to, to do something else. Um, and this kind of automation, you can set this up in half an hour, right? This is not scary at all, at all anymore. Right. Um, and it's all about fin- finding your niche, right? And I think we, we talked about a, a customer before where, you know, it kind of got stuck stuck with me because I think it's a nice a nice story. And, and that's a guy that actually ventured from... Um, soft signage environment into an textile garment production. Yes. And what he's doing is he's focusing now on mermaid costumes for kids. Yep. And no one is doing it. So he has a unique selling point on the market. Um, it's a very limited amount of uh, sizing. Um, but you can upload your own um, color schemes. You can choose from a couple of color schemes, a nice integration with a small web to web to print uh, storefront. Nothing, nothing fancy, but very focused, very healthy margin, very low touch points. Um, he actually has this little, you know, washer and dryer setup uh, as well. And he's, you know, very successful in uh, producing those mermaid costumes, which is a really nice, you know, success story of, of a very small environment. I think he had one or two printers right um but successful and highly automated you know chris we'd spend as a customer we spend a lot of time and effort in determining what is the right solution to make us more profitable to grow our business uh to serve our customers and what we sometimes see is we lack focus in training and integration, especially accountability for training. So we run into the situation that I talked about earlier, post sales, six months after the product's been integrated, we find that there was 
a problem with with uh, like the example that I mentioned, you know, not utilizing hot folders properly or automation or could be a variety of different things. We can debate about whether it's better to train on site in the real production environment, off site where we have the undivided attention of the individual that's going to operate the equipment. So I guess to make the question shorter, we spend a lot of money acquiring equipment, but we are deficient in proper training and proper integration at the beginning. Yeah, isn't isn't it amazing? I mean, people lay down a lot of money for those printing equipment and training, you know, how to drive it often is is an afterthought. Um, Every presentation I do, I I usually let people raise their hands, right? How many of you have, uh, you know, a daughter or a boy? And, you know, some raise their hands and, you know, would you buy your kid, you know, a car without giving them a driver's license? And of course, no one says yes, right? Right. But that's exactly what we do with the printing machines. It's it's mind boggling. Um, I would say eight out of 10 customers that, that I visit are, haven't upgraded their DFE and the operators are not fully trained on on the product um mm-hmm. so you simply cannot get the maximum throughput and quality of your equipment you know sometimes i wonder if it's a cultural problem where we're in an industry that is very creative and uh sometimes we think that uh we're destroying the creativity when we automate and when we have a manufacturing mindset yet when we look at some of the most productive, creative uh, types that, I mean, I could name off several different people, but they're highly productive and they're highly creative. And the reason why they're productive and creative at the same time is because they have really a manufacturing mindset. They have processes in place each time they go into the creative process. So maybe you can explain to our listeners what your team is doing to address this challenge. We probably address the training piece in two different ways. Um, one is, um, you, you know, our, you know, my, my colleague, uh, John Nate, uh, very yes. well, uh, from, from your past as well, I believe. And John is now focused on providing online training content, right. which all content is, included i'm not allowed to use a free word it's it's included so all content is free for customers right which allows you significantly faster and easier to to train your staff or have them trained when you know you have staff rotation and and that kind of stuff so so content is simply more accessible and available with the new tools that that we have that's one side of things the other side is we solved a lot actually internally um because frankly speaking the sales team doesn't want to convolute the sale, right? Um, they want to talk machine, they want to talk speeds and feeds, and they want to find a home for a machine. And training often, you know, becomes an afterthought or they don't want to bake it in the deal because yeah. the customer might not be willing to pay for it. And, you know, all those sorts of things that make it complicated. Um, so what we did is we started measuring the NPS score. Um, which helps us track how happy our customers are with the product. And the correlation between customers that receive training having a higher NPS score um, than customers that did not get training is just, I mean, it's it's night and day, it's crystal clear. Um, Customers with training are happier with the product and get better quality out. 
Let me ask and, you a question real quick before you keep going. And the uh, the acronym that you use, can you explain that to our listeners? Uh, the NPS score that that you just mentioned. That means absolutely. That means. Once I explain it, though, you will never be able to forget it, and you will <laughs> every survey you get in the future, you will answer with having the you know the answers already in, in your head. Um, NPS is the Net Promoter Score. It's a it's a standard measure that now really you know almost all vendors are using. And now that you you know you know how that's going to get measured, you will see it in your you know your office product, your Adobe product, at you know hotel service. You will see that everyone is using the same um, the same metric. Yes. So what you do is you ask a, bu- a bunch of questions, um, which you know might interest you or not. Um, but then one key question will always pop up, and that's the question is: Would you recommend this product or service to a friend or colleague? Right. Which is a very neutral way of asking this and then you get a scale from zero to ten and um i hope i don't do it wrong from zero to six you know a negative um seven and eight you're neutral nine and ten you're a promoter um and you take that statistic and you calculate out one number which is the net promoter score so as a company you want to have a positive net promoter score meaning i have as many of my customers willing to promote my product to others not only because i like them to to promote it but it's really a quality measure you know, I'm not just happy with the product. I'm so happy I would recommend it to someone else. So this is the highest quality of measure you can leave. <laughs> Statistics don't lie, um, but you need a, a, a liar to create a statistic, right? Um, those, those numbers are scary. Um, yeah. And it's scary because it's a single number where we put a lot of weight to it. Um, right. But have, having the single number makes it very, very comparable. I mean, of course, it depends how you ask a question. It depends when do you call the customer up, right? Is it right after right. the install? Is it half a year later? Is it when you just had an issue, et cetera? I mean, there's so many things that can make this number wrong. But you know, from a statistical standpoint, if you ask enough people, um, that average itself out, and then you get a very solid number. And since Everyone is using this NPS, not everyone, but, you know, most big companies are using this. You can start compare yourself against an Apple and Microsoft and Nvidia and HP, etc. And you get a pretty good measure of where you stand. The most important measure, though, in my opinion, at least, is the improvement, right? Right. Um, I want to improve all the time. I If I ask a question the same way over the years, it's a very good metric to see oh, new version released, the NPS score went up. Uh, since I'm not familiar with it, it does sound like it gives you some sort of insight into whether or not uh, there's customer satisfaction as far as the solution as well as the relationship uh, between you and the client. Absolutely. Relationships are probably the most, most important thing. And yeah, it's, it's, it's the full solution. Right? So it's not only feature A, B, and C. It's, hey, do I have a unique functionality that maybe is more important to me than having you know, a lot of functionality? Is the support guy you know, just a really personal and good guy that helps me out? I mean, I think statistics show as well that actually um, if you have a customer that had an issue which you resolved positively, it's going to be a more long-term customer to you than, statistically speaking, the customer that never had an issue. Right? Right. Um, we're in the business of keeping the machine happy and keeping the machine print as much as possible. So our vested interest is resolving issues as fast as we can and maintaining a really high ratio of uptime versus downtime. Makes sense. 
it's it's crucial, especially at the beginning when machine goes in, that proper proper training is done. It's it's a two way street where really, you know, vendor and customer they need to work together in order to make proper training in all segments uh, happen. Um, we are by far not perfect yet. We see in quite different um, attachment rates of proper training depending on what countries, right? We seem to be more successful in conveying the value of training in in North America, for example, than compared to Eastern Europe, th- those kind of regions. Some of it obviously is language barrier as well, right. um, but just the, the value positioning from our side and the value perception from a customer side um you know is the training important for my equipment um training is you know it, it costs money however you you know you you, you split it, it it costs money it's it's a person that has to travel somewhere and you know spend a you know some good amount of time in order to provide this properly so this needs to be calculated on both sides um, as well and training requires time right I've seen it so often that, oh, we were successful to get a trainer on site and the equipment is there, et cetera, but the equipment needs to run production because the RI was calculated so tightly that there's really no time to actually do training because the production always, you know, quote, interferes. Hard to say that it interferes. I mean, it makes makes profit, right? So it's important, but there's a long time cost of missing out of, of this opportunity to do proper training. And it's a soft cost, which is more difficult to calculate. Um, but it's key to take this uh, time aside and really do the training. One thing that we've seen uh, fairly successful is to split the training um, to get folks in our facility before the machine goes in. Right. Um, because obviously then, you know, there's not the phone call from a pre-press manager that, you know, ABC has to be done. They really have dedicated time. They're committed because they have to travel somewhere. They're in the classroom. Um, and classroom for us means a machine is there as well, right? So you can right. touch it and print and do, do all the training. So you're applying. And then you take that knowledge yeah. and the machine comes in and you're already trained before the machine starts printing. And then kind of a second set of training kicks in where it's more in refresher. Hey, what do you have learned? Were you able to use it? And here's a couple more tips and tricks how to use it properly. Well, it's funny because that's exactly how it was back early on when we adopted uh, CTF, a computer to film, and CTP and revamped our entire workflows. We were gone for sometimes up to two weeks training. Uh, at, uh, for instance, Cytex, we had uh, RIP training for one week, and then the following week was imposition training and really, you know, learn that equipment, every detail inside and out. And we brought with us the considerations from our own production environment. You know, if we were running, uh, we had webs and sheet fed. So our, our imposition and considerations for that environment, we brought along with us. And then we had other students in the class that had different requirements and uh, we worked through all of them. And when we returned, we had the local support from the vendor to work through some minor issues and glitches so that uh, we didn't incur a lot of downtime when we were up and running at full speed. 
And yeah, isn't it amazing how it goes in circles, right? As you said, I mean, it kind of was that way. And then, oh, everything got so simpler and easier and we don't have time to share anymore. So we don't need training. And now it's kind of coming back on, hey, maybe the RI is wrong. And obviously, if I'm trained better, I can, you know, use this equipment better. Right. And the downside of having really cool technology to do things remotely and to collect big data, we lose focus of uh, the, the core requirements for educating a human to do certain tasks and that's coaching uh, having the expert uh, there to assist and observe the individual whether it's in the focus classroom or in the production environment but being there in the environment uh, you can't see things, obviously, when you're, you know, through a web browser, unless you have a camera array. And, uh, you know, that's that's very expensive the, to be able to pull that off. But uh, point, you understand my point. I mean, there's no substitute uh, for that uh, one-to-one counseling and uh, uh, coaching. So first of all, I'm I'm completely with you. From my own experience, for example, it's night and day difference if I talk to a customer on the phone or if I go on site to have a conversation. It's not only the the amount of information is so much higher. It's the seeing the environment, the touch and feel, the really you know kind of seeing the things left and right as well. You know where where are your pain points? What are you trying to figure out? Why are you doing this and that? You know, it's I mean it's it's just as a completely different quality than just doing it um, online or, or remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, what we are doing is. Um, we're providing uh, what we're trying to provide a flexible package, um, which means, and I'm talking a little bit out of my expertise, so some of the numbers might be a tiny bit off, um, but when you purchase a machine, uh, you get a certain amount of seats. I think it's two or three seats, meaning you can send uh, two or three operators into a class, which is hosted at our facility. Um, but then, you know, you might say, oh, I, you know, I cannot afford this, or there's visa issues, or whatever the reason is, then you can kind of convert those seats. It's almost like a credit system and say like all three seats are um, the same as having one EFI person, you know, come to your facility. Um, So you can kind of convert this to your own needs um, so we can customize this offering um, to what works best for you and your, your travel schedule. But the recommendation is always come to our facility, get your training there, and then have a, se- a second set of training at your facility to to really hone, hone this in. Hey, Chris, I'm going to shift just a little bit. And we're talking about uh, a lot of we're doing we're talking a lot about training and really the combination of training and automation, how to train best and how to use you know automated features to it's all about improving our efficiency and our profitability. So we have two weak areas that, automation or the lack of automation and then uh, the lack of uh, a good training to uh, use the tools correctly and of course our heartbeat here at ID Alliance is color and there's a, a little bit of controversy I sometimes ask this of uh, people that are uh, well-versed like yourself in color management solutions and that's color management solutions up in the cloud and uh, there's somewhat of a debate that certain things need to be done uh, outside of the cloud and certain things need to be done in the cloud or we can do everything in the cloud and I would like to hear your thoughts on cloud-based color management solutions I know that EFI is uh, working in this area as well 
So first of all, I think, you know, obviously cloud is the future. Cloud is going to be the future for monitoring color, ensuring that it's stability, um, no doubt. Um, with that being said, you know, cloud is marketing as well, right? And I've seen a lot of folks don't even question if this makes sense or not. Just hearing the term cloud, obviously that's what we want to do. That's what we want to invest um, into. Um, so for my you know, purely personal opinion is um, when it comes to color management, I think profiling in the cloud, I just haven't understood yet. Um, because obviously I need to profile my press, which is local. So, you know, you, you're going to use a local piece of measurement equipment. You're going to use a local sheet. Um, if the software now is hosted in the cloud or if it's hosted local, it's, it's almost irrelevant. So I think in, when it comes to profiling, the question is, what's the functionality? What's the cost? What's the flexibility, et cetera? Um, but it has nothing to do with the cloud, in my opinion. Where the cloud has its power is whenever you want to compare data from one location to another, right? And that's where the monitoring and verification piece comes in. So I think the profiling is local, could be in the cloud, but doesn't matter, but it has to be executed local. The verification of a measurement for the trending, obviously the measurement is done local as well, but the power is in comparing all the different data streams to each other. Right. And when, when I say comparing the data streams, it's twofold. I mean, one is obviously, oh, I have my equipment, I have location A and B, and I want to see if you know location A performs better than location B. That's um, part, one part of the equation. But I can extend this further and I can make this data available to my um, to my customer. In one story comes to mind for me, and that's probably 15 years ago. Uh, no one talked about cloud yet, um, but I talked with a big publisher in in uh, New York, and they approached me with you know a pain point. So like you know, Chris, I want to monitor. You know, I'm I'm printing somewhere else. I'm not printing myself, and I want to monitor color stability um, over time. And I'm like, okay, I understand because you want to ensure that all the product is good, right? And they're like, no, we know some of the product is going to be bad. I just want to know how much is exactly bad because if I print a million copies, in my um, advertisement customer. So the Gucci, so I don't know what of this world, they pick up one copy and that copy happens to be bad. I'm going to be now liable for a million copies of this magazine and have to negotiate a price reduction. Right. If I can prove over time that out of this million copy, actually only 50,000 were bad. I'm now, A, I can be proactive with my customers. I can approach them proactively, build a relationship and trust. I can say, dear customer, you know, I know 50,000 copies are bad. I give you a 2% discount or whatever it is. And the conversations are completely different one because I'm not talking a million, I'm talking 50,000 copies, right? Yeah. So you can extend this data stream not only for your own good, but you can make it available to, you know, your customer's customers, I, I guess. And the third power of it is, and that's, you know, the next hip marketing term, you know, the the AI, the artificial yeah. intelligence. Yeah. Um, but I think there's value behind this as well. Um, I don't think the industry is there yet. But if you're smart and if you use this data in a proper way, we can probably find out some things. Um, an easy scenario would be, oh, I have a thousand customers and, you know, 10 of them received a certain Magenta ink batch and they started having some sort of color trending issues. You know, can I now be proactive and inform the other customers that got the same batch? Or can I do some color corrections up front because I know the life length of 
the printhead affects my color in a certain way and I can start comparing all this data from all the locations of my customers and can come up with a smart algorithm to do some you know, predictive maintenance, uh, adjust certain color algorithms or, you know, voltages in the printheads to make certain issues never even even show up. I think we will see a, a lot of really, really cool things happening, quote, with the big data in, in, in printing as well, where the vendors should be able to come up with some amazing algorithms to to help folks in the field kind of without them um, without them knowing. Um, but what we need is the uh, data to do this. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's some different opinions, um, especially also from a country um, standpoint. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm German based and there's a lot of reluctance to put your data in, in the cloud. So it's it's up to us vendors to build a very strong trust relationship that we, you know, manage this data properly, that it's fully, you know, anonymous, that um, we only use it to aggregate data around, hey, how do my China printheads perform over time and then this kind of stuff. But I think there's a huge value that we can make equipment better. Chris, I mentioned in your introduction, the team that you direct and your position uh, currently at EFI. And I'd love to hear about what your team is doing, what you're doing uh, to impact the products that you're responsible for. Um, this is a fairly small, I, I want to think, effective group, which was formed very, very recently, um, start, start of this year. Um, pretty much all of us, we were part of the um, product management group. Um, I was used to be responsible for the um, wide to super wide um, front end as well as um, for display graphics, but also for textile and also for um, um, ceramics slash industrial printing. Um, but what we're realizing is that kind of the world gets more more complicated or more more connected and we want to provide a full solution. Right? We don't want to just provide um, a printer for display graphics or a DFE for display graphics or maybe a workflow piece or maybe a piece of cloud uh, solution. We want to provide really an, an connected solution where everything works nicely together. And we as an organization, we didn't have this one person that can tell the story. Right. Um, I remember one meeting where we met with a big um, um um, shoe company, right? Um, sport, sport shoe company. And um, I think we flew there with three or four people. I mean, not only is it not cost effective, right? But you're not having that one person that can really talk cross product in a convey the full story, but also bring back the, um, the market requirements on how should those products really work together. And that's why we um, created this market segment management group. Um, so we're focusing on three segments. It's uh, packaging, it's um, textile, and it's um, display graphics. And our goal is to educate the market with what we as EFI can deliver in this whole segment, so cross product, mm-hmm. but also educate EFI about how our products need to work together in order to you know, give our customers a maximum value. Um, yeah, I mean, we're this in interesting environment at EFI where, at least historically speaking, we did a lot of acquisitions, right? So I remember when we um, acquired Cretaprint, which is our ceramic um, printing machines. That's an understatement, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> So we, we, you know, we, we acquire a company like that and we, we, as a company, we take a look at it like, oh, okay, so they're, they're 
printing machines for ceramic tiles. Um, ceramic tiles color management is not really known. So we put the fiery in front of it and now we have some value. Okay, great. Um, but then you start going into it and you just learn that while, you know, some of the technologies obviously are very applicable, um, just every market has so unique and different um, um, environments, language requirements that, you know, you have to spend, you know, a lot of time to really get into it. I mean, to give you one example, and this might be a little bit <laughs> far out there, but one example was we looked at the ceramic space and like, oh, okay, so we can reduce the amount of um, design cycles it takes um, from like five to to one try and obviously this is a tremendous you know time and cost saving and you know color management is great and you know this is our unique value and we're going to go after and then we visit the customers and we're realizing that you know those ceramic tiles are individual tiles obviously right mm -hmm. and instead of doing five design runs they just took all five and ran it at once actually they took 20 and just threw 19 away and just chose the one that's best for them. I was like, oh, oh this, this is different. Okay. So you, you you kind of have to learn in each segment so, so much. And that's where, yeah, subject matter experts um, come in. And that's where the market segment management group comes in, which, which helps us to speak the right language, but also understand the requirements and then take our technologies and not just cookie cutter and, and, and push it out into this market, but adjust it in a way that makes sense and provides the most most amount of value we're convinced we can provide more more value and one of the values of the conversation that we have right now i mean i'm really trying not to talk too much about our product but you know really look at the environment and the industry and what is what are the things that you know our shared customers need to need to do and we don't you will see me often actually um, recommend another company solution. And mm -hmm. you can imagine I once in a while get the internal emails. I'm like, oh, I printed this out. You know, Chris recommended A, B and C. I'm like, of course I did. You know, the, the requirement was, you know, this and we don't have the answer to this, but I know some someone else does and the overall solution will work better. So we will piece the right um, pieces together just to have a, a smooth workflow and have it to have it perform. Excellent, Chris, and I really appreciate you being so candid today with us on the Gamut Podcast. And uh, before we end, I'd like to mention that EFI will be hosting their Connect Users Conference at the Wynn Las Vegas Hotel and Casino from January 21st through the 24th of next year, 2020. As well, we will be there, Idea Alliance, and we will be hosting a G7 Expert and professional certification and training course at the Connect Conference. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, the seats are limited, so make sure you get online and register now for the G7 Expert in Professional Certification and Training and the EFI Connect Users Conference, again, from January 21st through the 24th of 2020. And um, I hope to see you there, Chris. I will be there. Um, I was part of the um, G7 um, event last time as well. Um, it's it's cool. It's high value because what happens is, um, I mean, Connect obviously has a feed to it and then G7 training has a feed to it as well. Mm -hmm. And what we are doing is you pay for Connect and the G7 is included. So you get both for the same price. Um, so it's it's quite nice. And there you go. Chris, again, we really appreciate you hanging out with us today. And thank you and take care. 
More than welcome. Thanks for listening to the Gamut Podcast. If you have ideas, suggestions, or would like to join us or even sponsor future podcasts, simply email me at jcollins at idealliance.org. That's J-C-O-L-L-I-N-S at idealliance.org. Take care and have a productive day. 